everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Anirudh Singh. Our guest today is Aaron Schum, founder and CEO of Vestwell, the engine powering modern-day workplace savings and investing programs such as 401k and 403b plans. Prior to founding Vestwell, Aaron co-founded Folio Dynamics, a wealth management fintech platform. At Folio Dynamics, Aaron oversaw the strategy, revenue, marketing, customers, and product development. Outside of Vestwell, Aaron has served on the board of directors and the advisory board of several fintech companies, including Quovo, Vesterly, Of Color, and Chalice Financial Network. Aaron was included in Investment News 40 Under 40 and WealthManagement.com's 10 to Watch. In today's episode, we discuss the benefits of being a serial entrepreneur, the changing regulatory landscape for 401k plans, selling to SMBs, and more. We end the conversation with a rapid-fire round of questions. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Aaron, and thank you so much for joining us on the show today. How are you doing? I am doing great. Excited to be here. Excited to have you. So for listeners who may not know, could you just provide a brief overview of your career to date and uh, how you got involved in fintech? Yeah, so not to um, go, go too far back. I'm a bit older than probably most people in the fintech world. But um, long story short, I cut my teeth in financial services coming out of undergrad, uh, large corporate risk society at Northern Trust. Moved to New York City in 2002 with the aspiration of becoming an asset manager and fell completely by mistake into the fintech world because none of the asset management companies would hire me until, unless I learned a particular software. So I went to a company that hired me as a product uh, manager, and that's really where I had my first foray into this world. Fast forward, burnt out, left when I was in grad school or the end of grad school really just because I was completely tapped out and needed a couple hours of sleep. And my old boss and I came up with the concept to build a wealth management fintech platform. We did that. And through the iterations of that is, is actually where came up with the idea of Vestwell. And fast forward several years later, got the opportunity to actually build this after we sold that last business. Uh, to It's now owned by a company called InvestNet out in Chicago. And then, uh, yeah, have been in the fintech world Long before it was even called fintech, it used to just be financial technology and services. <laughs> so now it's it's you know obviously kind of in its I don't know which generation you would pin it to, but uh, it has come a long way. And I believe that first company we're talking about was Folio Dynamics. Uh, and I love having serial founders on the show because you tend to have the the best perspective on on founding companies. So could you talk a little bit about Folio Dynamics and uh, any lessons learned from building, growing, and eventually uh, selling that company? Yeah, a lot. Um, it took, uh, we started that business really, it was conceived on a bar napkin in Princeton, New Jersey. We were, I was leaving my last company after being burnt out and my old boss and I started drawing circles on a bar napkin over a beer, pontificating about what we thought the wealth management world needed from like a mass affluent standpoint. And, um, you know, it was, it was great. It was just a, just a, you know, kind of a, nothing conversation. We were just kind of joking around talking about things. And then six months later, he calls me. He's like, hey, do you want to do this? And I was like, no, I don't want to. I'm like, I'm moving to London. <laughs> I, gotta, I got my visa done. I just finished my my MBA at Duke. And I was like, I'm, I'm moving on. And uh, he was like, come in, let's let's talk about it. Let's do it. Anyway, long story short, we, we he found someone to basically incubate this as a new co within their larger organization. And we started piecing together the solution for this WellTech platform that was basically kind of like a, a modern day, more modern turnkey asset management platform that a lot of the wealth management world runs, but really heavily, heavily indexed on the tech side. And I learned so much through that from, you know, 
had we started, we went to raise our first round of capital in March of 08. And for those of you that old enough to, to have been around in that period, it was incredibly hard to be in the, the financial technology world or the financial space in general. So we like we we were out of cash, we couldn't make payroll, I couldn't pay rent, he couldn't pay his mortgage. Like it was, it was, it was as hard as it got, right? And you know, credit cards maxed out the whole the whole bit, right? And we were just adamant. We're like, someone will back this because we we truly believe that we could pull it off, right? So we got we did get funding that August at like the the eleventh hour and pulled it out and built this platform. And I learned a lot about capital raising, what to do, a lot of what not to do. I learned a lot about uh, you know, I think a lot of the mistakes we made early were, you know, some of the things like core infrastructure and kind of I guess not not indexing hard enough on on some of the you know the the protocols that are needed to really infinitely scale right I mean technology was in a different state back then than it is today right it's much easier to do but I, I spent a lot of time this time around like thinking about okay who are the right people we want around the table and why you know how are we going to really build this a high scale kind of enterprise level, uh, design where we don't have to re- redo this stuff later on. Like we were three years into Folio Dynamics and the wheels fell off, right? So we had to rebuild it all, which is is really just like a kick to the gut, right? When you spend that much time and that that much heartache and putting into it, and then you're just like, wow, this is breaking all over the place. And we just got to kind of start over in many ways. Um, so we learned a lot about that, really got entrenched in the ecosystem. Um, and, and probably the biggest learning from that was what I saw as a flaw in the 401k in the workplace savings industry and doing that and saying, wow, this, you know, we were three years into Fuller Dynamics. We had about 30 employees and our employees wanted a 401k. And we said, okay, we'll do that. And one of, one of our sales guys brought in, brought in a buddy of his that was an advisor and he sold us a retirement plan. And I was like, wow, this is hard. Like I, I was a finance undergrad. I was, you know, had not the smartest financial person by any means, but knew more than that, you know, someone who's in an advertising agency or something like that. Right. And, and I'm like, wow, this is this hard for me and, and us in this business. Like how hard is it for, for everyone else who's not in this space? So that's what spawned the idea to do this. And I was, you know, really just kind of, it, it just got tattooed in my brain and I couldn't shake it. And I wanted to build this at Folio actually. And our investors were like, that's great, but let's stay focused on wealth, right? We got enough, don't, don't distract yourself. Um, so when we sold that business, I, I was just, just stuck in this. And I was like, I gotta go fix this because I know, I know that a lot of people were gonna try to come at this space from various angles, but having grown up and working with large global financial institutions and providing technology to kind of these enterprise SaaS level, I just said, Hey, there's, there's, I know how to actually fix this from the inside out. And, you know, and I'm not, and not, not to say, you know, other people could do it from other angles, but I was like, there, there are inherent flaws that I saw in certain designs that people were approaching in the industry. And I was like, I'm going to go try to do this. So, so learned a lot. Um, it has been much easier this time around. And and just knowing what to focus on and when and you know what fires you can let burn for a second while you're going to to fix a bigger issue, that has really you know just made it much easier and you didn't feel like you're running around like a like hairs on fire every day. Impressive, you were able to uh, launch and grow Folio Dynamics in like the economic environment of 2008. And you mentioned a lot of the difficulties in like paying rent and raising capital, but you said all that with a big smile on your face. So I think you probably look back on the those those difficult times pretty fondly now. 
Um, oh yeah, for sure. We, there, there have been many laughs over the years because of it, right? But, but when you're in the in the throes of it, it is you feel like just the weight of the world is on you, right? And it was this time around. You know, I was kind of joking and with my, you know, we we sold that business, and I was like, I'm going to take time off and hang out for a while. But I still had this in my mind, and I finally was with my wife, and we took a, a quick vacation. I took six days off after selling, after leaving that and starting, you know, jumping into Vestwell. And uh, I was like, I really have to go do this. And she was just like, okay, but, you know, you basically have a year to get this going. And if you don't get it off the ground, you're done. And I'm like, okay, deal. Let's start the clock. Go. Right. And, uh, but she, you know, people have joked with her. They're like, how do you, how have you, you know, been okay with your husband going to do this she's like he just she's like he'll just refuse to quit and he will not fail at it and she's like i never doubted he would pull it off right she's like but i also just wanted to make sure that you know <laughs> he wasn't just dabbling in this thing right and it was like no so and it's just that's just kind of how my brain is right it's like you're just going to go hard and, and and get it done and make sure that that you see it through so uh it's been nice to relive this in a much a much easier kind of grander aspect than in the fully dynamics world. So let's let's go deeper into Vestwell then. Let's uh, could you talk a little bit about kind of the, the products the company offers, and then a little bit about what makes uh, offering a four like offering in house record keeping for four hundred one k accounts so difficult? Yeah. So what we do, right? So think of us as the engine inside of anyone that wants to offer workplace savings, right? So. We, you know, there's in, in focus squarely on small small businesses, right? Because 99% of businesses in this country are small businesses, but they are dramatically underserved because they have been built on legacy technology, or, or the providers have been built on legacy technology and offering these services out to the space. And it's not because those providers don't want to offer something to small businesses. They just have never been able to do so in the best manner possible. So it's driven cost up, the cost to serve, that the there's been a lot of conflicts over the years from investments that have been made available and so on. And really, when I kind of dissected that, it all it all came back to the core infrastructure that they're built on. And the industry is kind of known as record keeping, but record keeping doesn't matter, right? At the end of the day, it's just how do how do you actually engage and, and run this? So we are a white labeled engine inside powering workplace savings. We live with 401ks and 403bs because that is the kind of widest net to cast to engage with with businesses and their under and their underlying employees. And then we're expanding into IRAs. We actually launch an IRA program with the state of Oregon next week, uh, as well as Connecticut. And, and there's a third state that happens in November as well. And then we're expanding into other aspects like 529s and 529A with ABLE programs. And we'll do health savings and emergency savings. So we want to power all things workplace, all things payroll deducted, right? And that's been our focus. Uh, and we do so through the means of how the industry actually functions in today's society. So what's often overlooked and misunderstood is most of this industry is led through financial advisors. They, you know, 93% of workplace savings programs actually have a financial advisor associated with them. And so we're heavily focused on engaging with what I would call, um, you know, if you look at asset managers, retirement plan providers, and banks, broker dealers, RAs, warehouses, so on, as well as payroll companies, and kind of bridging the gap across all of these and really sitting at the intersection of how these firms engage with the businesses they serve. And we, you know, we want to be the engine powering those front to back for them um, in a very unbundled kind of elegant fashion that drives the cost down to serve. So that that's kind of what we're doing and how we're out there in the marketplace. 
a gauge of how big the problem is uh, for small businesses? Like how many are, are out there that don't offer anything like a 401k plan to their employees? Yeah, so it's it's actually quite staggering. So if you, you get, there's 33 or 32 million-ish small businesses out there in the country, only about 600,000 of them offer a workplace savings program. So it's, it, there's a huge gap, right? And that gap is widening, right? It, you know, and it kind of our parents' generation, right? They typically worked at large corporations, you know, that that offered these things and they were made available or they had pension plans, right? And whatnot. And the pension era has kind of gone away, right? It shifted to defined contribution 401ks. And then as as people, you know, as, as society has, has evolved, right? People are going smaller and smaller. You see all these startups every day or, or small businesses out there and they're not saving enough for a bunch of reasons, right? And there's a huge gap because frankly, at the end of the day, when, when, you're getting ready to retire, even if you don't like officially fully retire, right? You still need a nice nest egg to plan, you know, for for your healthcare costs, right? You got a couple hundred grand that you can anticipate in your life uh, after you retire to pay in healthcare. And if you don't have that, which most, you know, American workers don't, it becomes an exasperated problem, right? And it's actually what's also caused, it's been a catalyst for these states to offer programs and kind of start to mandate this because what's happening is like, you know, states are broke, and budget-wise, and all of a sudden now they're getting, you know, footed with these bills from their residents within those states that can't pay the hospital bill. And someone has to pick up that tab, right? And now the states are saying, listen, if the industry isn't going to be able to solve this, we're going to go try to solve it ourselves, right? And start to offer this out to, to or mandate that small businesses have something. So everyone's trying to solve this problem from different angles. And we're basically trying to help across the board with all of it. Right, whether it's you know engaging directly with small businesses via the the constituents that we work with, or via from the states, or, or it could be an association and an affiliation, a chamber of commerce. Basically, everyone should be able to offer this right and not have the overhead, not have to be you know an expert in the space, and and really help people in the future and close that retirement saving gap. You correctly, you said thirty-two million small businesses and six hundred thousand that offer uh, a plan, like. That's like two percent of, of small businesses. What are the biggest reasons for not offering a plan? Is it is it financial? Is it lack of access? Uh, is it just lack of awareness? So, it's not really lack of awareness. Everyone knows they need to save, right? I wish people woke up in the morning and like, hey, I got to go, you know, establish a four hundred one k for my business, right? It's just not reality, right? We you you kind of kick the can. It's like that's retirement. It's so far off. I'll worry about that later, right? And so, actually, advisors are a big driver for this, right? So they. We often say in the industry, right, retirement plans are sold, they're not bought, right? So the, it usually takes someone to say, hey, we need to do this now, and here's why, for someone to say, finally, I'm going to go do it, right? But the advisors have had the ability to do so. Small businesses have had access, but it's been very expensive and very clunky for them to do so, and very inflexible in many ways, right? So they weren't really solving the core problem of it, right, and engaging that level. So as the kind of things have evolved, we've said, hey, listen, we can solve this through technology and do this. And when you're a small business, right, you're going fast, right? And the last thing, like you, you don't have a giant benefit team. You maybe are lucky to have an HR person in a small business, right? Most of the time, it's like the CFO or who's ever managing the books of the business that's doing this. That's just not an expert, right? And when you go to large corporations, you know, they'll have, 
you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, up to 100 people that just manage the benefits for the organization, right? So they have people focus on this and distilling it. And, and, you know, it's a complex industry. There's a lot of permutations. There's a lot of rules when you get to ERISA and the SEC and the IRS and the Department of Labor. And you have to distill all this. And as a small business owner, if I'm running a restaurant, odds are I don't know anything about a safe harbor elective versus non-elective or whatnot, like all these these nuances that come with a retirement plan, right? So that's where an advisor can come in. And if an advisor can engage, can engage at high scale with no overhead in a flexible construct that drives the cost down significantly to serve a small business, you get to pass those savings on, people get to engage, they get to make decisions that are educated without having to be an expert in this space, and get something that's designed exactly for them and their business and their their employees within that business. So that's that's kind of how this all plays out and where we squarely fit with how we're we're engaging with with the the parties that we work with to to offer these workplace savings programs. Got it. And the way you describe the issue, it seems almost like working directly with the payroll providers that are selling to MBs or similar companies might be the best way or like least most frictionless way to go to market. Uh, is that what you've seen as well? So payroll is a huge piece of it, right? Payroll is a necessary component because you have, you know, if you're, we're engaging with payroll providers in, in kind of three manners, right? One is you either exclusively become their white labeled 401k engine, right? Like a toast, for example. So, so toast engages with thousands of food and beverage businesses. And when they're helping them, we are their 401k arm that they can offer as part of that business solution. Not every payroll company is ready to do that, right? So sometimes it's a marketplace offering, right? So they'll put a couple of people on the shelf, um, like a QuickBooks, for example. So we're one of three providers on the shelf of QuickBooks um, that are fully integrated with that. And then the last is is really just getting data from a provider. So someone says, hey, listen, I, I don't, it's not really core. It's not something I really want to offer, but we'll be able to integrate with you, right? Now, a big problem, though, is payroll connectivity, right? And this is where a lot of people in the industry have kind of fallen short because there hasn't been a clean, easy way for them to get get data in and out of the system. And payroll is complex, right? People store, you know, it's, it's also old software in many ways, right? Most payroll companies, you know, you know, as old as these financial institutions and the infrastructure they're running on. So you have to deal with that nuance as well. And they store data differently and they have different flags by which they can they can pass you and so on. So you have to be able to do that cleanly and, and eloquently, which is which is a constant involvement, right? It doesn't we're always iterating and doing that. So that's a key piece of it. Now, one thing that's often that's not really understood though is, is payroll is great, but there's not a lot of loyalty to payroll. And that loyalty impact folks like us if they're constantly, if they're saying, listen, I outgrew this company and I'm moving over to this company, right? Because if you don't have connectivity there, you don't have a relationship there, it doesn't always transfer over. And this is actually where an advisor plays a really key role in the equation because the advisors are the ones that really help shape and drive the relationship and help these businesses as they either expand or contract over time, evolve with, with how they can be best be set up for success, right? With all the, the intricacies that go with this, whether it be payroll or just financial advice or benefits or whatever it may be. So engaging with the advisors and giving them the ability to do that makes this really kind of a very sticky offering when you're working with these small businesses that are always, that are just kind of going fast. And they're like, someone just figure this out for me because I have to go you know, build my own business. You talked... A little bit about regulation, but I would love to hear your thoughts on the SECURE Act, uh, which provides small businesses credit uh, for offering retirement plans uh, and how that has impacted your business. Yeah, so it's a great thing, right? So cost is always a big concern, right? You're a small business, right? You're, you know, 
you're looking at your budgets constantly. You're trying to figure out just as any business is, right? But but there, it has a greater impact. So so the Secure Act helps in a lot of ways solve or not, I shouldn't say it solves it, but it but it just helps it along the way. So the Secure Act, you know, gives um, additional tax credits to these small businesses, which does it helps in our process, right? Because effectively that plan becomes kind of free, right? Or the, there's a big discount with those tax credits that are offered to the small business um, when they're setting it up and establishing it. Because usually it's the first, you know, year, two, three years that you worry most about finances, especially if, you're, if your business is on the right track, right? You're a few years in, it's less of a concern. So it does help there. There's also this notion of, of pooled employers, right? That That's included in Secure Act, where they can this notion of multiple employer plans has been around for a long time, like 20 years, right? It just hasn't been constructed in a way that absolved a lot of the fiduciary risks that can be impacted across this. And they used to have this rule called, it was a bad apple rule. So if you had one, say you had, you had 50 plans in a, in a multiple employer plan, they were all rolled up into one. And one of those plans violated the rules that were set forth everyone was punished across the other 49 businesses in that pool, right? So it scared a lot of people off. They've removed that bad apple rule uh, from it and made it easier to bring these businesses from other types of industries and whatnot together. Now, I think it's nice that they're able to do this and it really helps the legacy providers in many ways because their technology can't be advanced to actually do it in a in an individual construct for these small businesses where we kind of look at it because you know through the benefit of starting our business in a modern era and building it in a, in a you know in a way from the ground up that's very flexible and open with how we engage you know we can support multiple employer plans we offer it for some folks that want to work with us but also you know personally i always have the argument like why would you want to be put in a in a pool that you don't really want to swim in when you can have your own pool that can you can set the temperature, you know, whatever you want, you can, you know, expand it, contract it, whatever it is, right? So we can offer something that's cheaper, that's personalized, you know, and built exactly for that end customer, and then can change with them over time at a price point that none of these MEPs can really offer candidly, because they're they're still at, at the end of the day what's behind the scenes empowering that business is still old legacy technology that is really error prone. And there's a very high operational cost that's a, that's attributed to that. Changing topics a little bit, uh, Vestwell is backed by a number of leading investors, especially I've noticed fintech investors. What do you look for when you are raising money and what kind of partners uh, are you hoping to attract? It's a good question. So, um, I would say that. So I, we've been very, very fortunate from the investor base uh, and the interest in, in what we're doing. I think, you know, early days, it's about it's about team and track record and so on. And, and we had that and, and kind of the vision and we knew the space. There's no shortage of capital floating out there, right? People are always wanting to write checks and throw term sheets over the wall and so on. But I think as an entrepreneur and is very important to construct your investor base in a thoughtful manner and who's going to bring what value to the table, right? So I looked at it and said, listen, I want people around the table who understand this space, right? They don't have to be 401k experts, right? But they need to have an idea of how this industry works and how it plays out. Because from the very onset, we have been very calculated in saying, we're taking the long road, but it's the right road. And this is how you build the platform that becomes the backbone for the future of how this industry grows and evolves. And it is not obvious to many VCs of how that works, right? 
because they just have their metrics that they benchmark to. And they're like, hey, just go hire an army of salespeople and put, you know, you know, let the score rise and just say, that's how we measure it and blah, blah, blah. That's it. Right. And in this industry, it is very hard from the outside to actually understand how it works. Right. When you peel back a few layers. And so I wanted people who understood that and said, listen, we're, we're going at this with the, the long view in mind, I want to be there forever, right? And I want to be kind of the framework, not to say that we're going to, you know, take over the world per se, I would like to, but that's not going to happen, you know, but look at it and say, hey, we want this framework to be how people build for the future. And so we got, you know, fintech guys who understood what I would say, like advisor-led initiatives, they understood core infrastructure, they understood nuance of the space in the enterprise side of things. So, you know, I kind of looked at it and said, okay, what are you going to bring to the table and why, right? Is it is there a commercial partnership potentially in place? Is there just an industry expertise that they're bringing to the table? Are there intros? And who's going to help me think through things when they're, when they're not obvious or when they're not going as you would think, right? They're not tracking, right? Because it's it's always, you know, that it's never perfect, right? And there's ups and downs and, and you need people around you who are supportive. They're like, yeah, got it. Let's all get in this and, and you know, let's swarm this thing and figure out how we come up with a solution. So we've been fortunate. I love the folks who are on the table with us. I mean, they're, you know, it was with a lot of them out in, in Money 2020 this week. And it was great. Like we have a blast, like, hey, and we're just like talking about like how we're going to change the world, right? And and everyone is fully committed to doing that. And it's great to have that support where you're not like picking up a phone and if something's not going well and you're calling an investor and like worried about their reaction, like I pick it up, I, I call them fast and I'm like, let's talk through this because I want to figure this out and they want to figure it out too. So that's a that's a good spot to be in and have, have great support around you. Uh, in the fintech industry overall, are there any sectors uh, outside of uh, retirement and, and 401k uh, planning that you're particularly excited about? And on the flip side, anything that you uh, are a little bit bearish on? Yeah, it's a good question. So I'm excited about a lot. This industry, I mean, like I said but at the beginning, like I've been in it for a long time, right? And I remember days where you would say, hey, we, you know, we just built this platform. You're going to, you know, I don't know. Morgan Stanley or something, you're like, here's here's what we want to, we want, you know, you guys should use this, right? And they're like, whatever, we're going to go build it ourselves, go away, right? <laughs> we got a bunch of money to go apply to it. Now, that mindset has shifted, right? Where these large institutions have said, okay, we're not that good at building these things, right? And we're not going to be able to go as fast as these fintechs. And we want to adopt things quickly. And we've been, you know, very successful in, in signing up some incredible clients and partners and doing that, that frankly, if this was 20 years ago, never would have happened. So, so even 10 years ago, it never would have happened, right? So it's come a long way. So there's a, there's a huge appetite. I think everyone is looking at everything at this point, right? There's nothing off the table. There are people, not all of it's, you know, going to be successful, right? But there, there's an openness and a willingness to, to try to do something together, which is great for us, right? We're not out building a brand. You'll never hear Vestwell. You never see a Super Bowl commercial with Vestwell, right? We're the engine inside of everyone, right? And there, there's no ego in our name or, you know, we. I, I just want to be there to be able to construct it in a thoughtful way and, and be there to help, right? And that's kind of been my DNA career-wise and how I've engaged with these folks. So I'm super excited about that. I think, you know, I love you know, blockchain constructs and, and crypto constructs. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of exciting things happening there, but our industry specifically in the kind of the defined contribution world, it's not ready for it, right? It just, 
it's too far ahead, right? I mean, you know, we still have companies running technologies that are 30 plus years old, right? And just be like, you know, transfer that over to blockchain. It's just not reality, right? It's not how this industry works. So you have to kind of baby step some of these things, or, or at least you can go fast, but you can't go too fast, right? But I do think there are, there are great plays we're seeing out there in the space that are interesting. I think, you know, if the SEC, you know, they just approve one futures product in the ETF structure, the fund structure, once they start to do that and distill that in a more kind of what I would add, just like a, a straight structure of like just Bitcoin or just Ether or something. I think we'll see a larger adoption of that in this space, which I'm excited about. ESGs have been awesome. I think I think a lot of us have really come to, you know, you want things personalized. You want things that are tuned to your beliefs and whatnot just in life. And I think seeing that transferred into the, the investment space has been a great thing. So I'm excited to see that. We just offer, put together some ETF strategies that we've made available in the ESG world, which we're excited about. So that's great. The things that I think that are a little overhyped, there are some some blockchain things that are overhyped. And I'm like, you know, it's just great, but there's just not a broad enough market. I think sometimes there's also a saturation in aspects of the market. So like in the wealth world, I think there's a huge saturation from the standpoint of there's so many there's so many offerings out there, right? It's just, and then it becomes kind of this analysis paralysis of like, what is best for me and my business and my practice or whatever it is. And that's hard. And there's a lot of point solutions that are like, you know, this is more just me and my own kind of mindset, but there are a lot of point solutions out there that I'm like, that's cool, but how do you actually make a business out of that, right? People are like, uh, you know, to the overhype, like, like on the wellness factor. I love wellness, right? And the concept of wellness is great, until the person that you're engaging with has another concept of wellness and what that actually means and the definition of it. And it's no one is aligned on what that actually is, right? And the thing is, you know, people build these wellness solutions and these planning solutions, but no one wants to pay for it. Everyone just expects it, right? And I I expect it, right? So we just we just took it upon ourselves. We just, you know, in our managed account solution that we built um, in partnership with Franklin Templeton. We built what I'll call like a, a, a light planning solution, the, the kind of a light wellness solution that we'll continue to expand on. But we're just offering it. We're like, it's just part of it, right? We're not going to sit there and charge you for a wellness solution. So I think that's a little overhyped. And then just kind of coming out of Money 2020, one thing I saw a lot of in talking with other investors was was kind of like this alts play for the, the mass market. And I think, again, in that audience, in that setting, I think there's a market for it, but there's not a broad enough audience nationally for alts plays and alts investments. I think that, you know, for those that are really kind of entrenched in the space and get it, they see it and they're like, yeah, this is super cool. We can do it. And it is cool, right? But there's just not a big enough market, I think, there to, to make a sustainable business out of this stuff. So, so you just kind of have to, I think, take some personal biases and strip them out and say, okay, can you actually make a business out of this? And, and what's the impact? And, and we're very focused on impact, right? It's like, you know, it is very much about, hey, how do we help the the average person, you know, just the, the whoever, some worker in, in, in the country, how do we help them for the future when they're not going to be experts and allow them to make better decisions for the future that is incredibly impactful from a financial aspect? And I think that is really important and core to what we believe. And the other stuff is like, can be cool and can look shiny and you're attracted to it, but it, it may not really be, you know, something that, that that's right for everyone or, or a big enough market for it. The last thing I wanted to do was ask a few rapid fire questions, uh, hoping to get answers here in 10 seconds or less. Ready to go? Yeah. 
Let's do it. Uh, when you're not working, how do you like to spend your time? Uh, usually, I'm playing with my kids, uh, or or I love I love I love cycling or uh, doing that. I feel like my my exercise regimen uh, takes a backseat too often these days, though, with with a couple little kids. How, uh, how many kids do you have? Two. I got a, a almost a five year old and a one and a half year old. Nice. Uh, what was your first job? My first job was at Sportmart. My first like real like W two job, right? It was cutting lawns, whatever. Worked every day of my life since I was thirteen. But uh, my first W two was at Sportmart. I was a floor salesperson for fitness equipment. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is something you're excited about before uh, the end of twenty twenty one? Oh, we have actually when this gets announced or when this this recording is released, we will have just announced uh, a huge thing. So you'll you'll see that. So if you look at the timeline in this uh, little window here, you'll see a couple of things announced that I'm super excited about. Um, but I'm I'm just excited about where this industry is going and, and the attraction to it and, and how many people are really trying to change how they approach it. That's such a good teaser. I can see your, your prior sales experience coming in handy. <laughs> I was never a salesperson. I just got... I became the guy who designed it and built it or helped help the engineers build it that could just articulate how it was actually functioning. So I was I ran revenue and sales for my last business, but it was not intentional. They were just the sales guys used to be like, here's Aaron, he'll tell you what 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 we do. Yeah. Last question, and you can take a little longer on this one if you'd like. Uh, what does success look like for you and for Vestwell? So success for us is like I said, I, I want to build the platform that becomes the industry standard for how this, this all progresses in the future. There's, it's, there's so much impact to be made across what we're doing and how we're doing it and really helping people think through what they can do to drive in the future, right? And, and we sit down with, with clients, prospective clients all the time. And we're like, what do you do really well, right? And, and, and try to dissect that and say, okay, here's what you do well, here's what we do well, here's how we bring these worlds together, right? And not say, hey, we have to do it all by any means, because I don't think we should do it all, right? And it's like, how do you, how do you really extrapolate the strengths of the partners you work with and help complement that? So success is building for the future and, and having the impact across everyone that touches us. You know, we say in the company all the time, like everyone who uses Vest Wealth, whether it be you know, an advisor, an asset manager, a small business, and the end employee have to be far better off with us than without us. And in doing that, we build a successful business, right? And and obviously we're in financial services. And part of that is around, you know, managing the finance aspect and making sure that we can do it ourselves and we have a profitable, sustainable business. And I do think that's important. And we're, you know, we keep a very keen eye on where we need to be in the future and how, and just and stay aligned with that. So you know, where we go, I don't know if we go, we can definitely go public. I don't know if we will, but, you know, I think all options of for the future are on the table and, and we're having a lot of fun doing it. It's a pretty good place to wrap it up for today. Uh, but thank you so much for joining the show, Aaron. Really appreciate your insights on, on fintech overall, but especially on retirement planning and, and 401k plans. Thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. I, I really appreciate the opportunity here. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. It means a lot and helps spread the word to more listeners. 
you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Medium, and Twitter at Warden Fintech. There you will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. I would also like to thank our editor, Raphael Austria, for his incredible work on our episodes. Signing off, I'm your host, Anirudh Singh.